Hello, everyone. My name is Kimberly, and welcome to What's Your Trauma, a mental health podcast. I created the What's Your Trauma podcast to take conversations that we normally only reserve for the therapy office or telehealth and try to normalize them and integrate them to create a stronger sense of community and support. We all have traumas. We all have varying experiences that have affected us. And the more I believe we can be honest, open and vulnerable while in a safe space, the more we can help heal both ourselves and others. I am so grateful for the many wonderful guests who are joining me on this podcast and sharing their stories in the hopes of helping others, breaking stigmas, or simply just telling their truth and having a heart-to-heart -heart, real conversation with another person. Today on the podcast, we have Julian LaRoche. Julian is a Los Angeles-based actor and digital marketer. Originally from San Francisco, Julian attended Northwestern University for theater and marketing and made it out to LA in 2019, right before the pandemic. Some things that make him happy are weightlifting and rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Also, one other thing to note is there were a couple technical difficulties on my end, so I put the entire episode through an AI voice enhancer. There were a few moments that could not be heard at all, so I went and re-recorded over that on my end. So there are a couple moments where the audio may not sound cohesive, but I wanted to get the integrity of the meaning of the episode rather than having perfectly cohesive audio. But before we launch right into the interview, I want to mention some content warnings because this is a podcast about trauma. Content warnings for this episode include, but are not limited to, sexual assault, rape, eating disorders, substance use and abuse, life-changing injuries, body image, consensual non-consent, and traumatic dreams. I will always have resources linked in the show notes in case you or a loved one are dealing with these issues or you find the episode to be too much. And with that being said, welcome to my interview with Julian. Hello everyone, my name is Kimberly and welcome back to the What's Your Trauma pod. Today I have on a friend, fellow actor and birthday twin, Julian LaRoche. Hi Julian. Hi, I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. How are you doing? How's your day been? Good, good. Today's been good. Um, been on a little bit of like a roller coaster of emotions the last few weeks, but today I, I went on like a two hour walk, which is really nice and got a lot of exercise in. So um, did a lot of dopamine triggering things today, which I think was very helpful. It's good. Sometimes I always forget that I'm like kind of like a plant and I need fresh air and water and sunlight sometimes. Sometimes I need other things, but it's always helpful. Yeah, I definitely don't get enough sunlight, even though we're in LA. I know. So you've had some very exciting things going on recently um, in the acting world. Can you tell us all a little bit about it? Yeah, totally. Recently, um, I had a guest star on The Young and the Restless, which was super exciting. It was a um, a character's like big coming out moment so i came in as his serious boyfriend um and got introduced to his family a cute little like reunion episode of some of the old lead actors on the young and the restless but um yeah was was really neat to be on a soap opera it's a different world that's amazing and for some of our listeners and viewers who are not in the acting world can you explain what a guest star is yeah a guest star is it's a role that I, and gosh, I don't even know if I know this right, but it's over like five lines. I think a co-star is under five, and then a guest star is somewhere between like <laughs> I don't know five and fifteen <laughs> or like a. Is that true? I I, I guess so. Basically, viewers, listeners at home, it's a pretty big deal. It's a good job. So let's all give Julian a round of applause for that. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, that was very exciting. Hopefully, you get more of me on that show. Yes. 
but interestingly enough, was acting your first kind of pre-professional career path or were you in something else? No, it was, it was an interesting transition into acting because um, I was a like very competitive diver for like seven years. I was competing internationally and I was nationally ranked. It was a really big deal. I like didn't really even focus in, on school that much because I was so into diving. It was just my entire life and my summers and weekends are all diving focused like social life wasn't really a thing um but i loved it but when i turned 15 or right before my 15th birthday i i um fractured my lower spine from it's this thing called spondylolisthesis and it's a weakness and a genetic weakness in your back that people don't really know about until they break it um and it happens from sports like like diving, gymnastics, and ballet, which are all three sports that, of course, I had done before. Um, so fracturing my back really changed my life. It, it took me out of the diving world and athletic world in general. I couldn't do anything physical for years. Um, I was like on the my school swim team, like barely, though. I like never shut up to practice. Uh, so in order to kind of to find something else to do with my time that wasn't as physically straining um i got into acting i knew it was something i wanted to do and experiment with and in high school i just really went full force with it i got an agent i did some commercials and i did like high school theater and it acted as its own little it was like where i could use my daredevil excitement and i can put it i could put it into acting and being on stage and doing those things which wouldn't further progress my back injury uh so then that's what got me going to northwestern for theaters it was a kind of a crazy transition that is amazing and i i can't imagine having something that you focus on for so long being just very black and whitely taken away from you um could you talk more about that you know the the titular question of so what's your trauma yeah yeah and this is definitely this is up there with like the biggest two traumatic things in my life and i think it's, it can be hard to relate to and i i had a lot of trouble finding people to relate to when they came to this because i didn't know any elite athletes that had injured themselves and had to stop their sport and i was told that i you know after i waited a few months and it would not heal but the pain would go away and i'd be able to get back in the water and, and that didn't happen so i had all this hope and then they said to get surgery because that would fix it. And the surgery didn't help at all. And it just made the pain worse. And it was, it just felt like something, it felt like a part of me was just pulled away. And I, I still have dreams about it multiple times a week. And I hate waking up from those dreams because it just reminds me of like, of how much I liked diving and being able to do like physical things. Like I still can't tumble or anything. Uh, and it was, especially back in high school, it was, a really rough thing to go through especially when you're trying to figure yourself yourself out in like your early teens and i lost diving and i didn't i had no clue who i was or what i wanted to be at that point like i know i touched on theater but diving was just like the love of my life it was it, it was just like a persona to me i really personalized it mm-hmm. so it it spawned a lot of depression and anxiety attacks like throughout my high school experience um and it felt very very low i'm sorry would you say that it was the 
if you had to like rank what was harder the physical aspect or the like emotional aspect Daniel, yeah the emotional was a lot worse the, the physical stuff sucked because i did have pain 24 7 and yeah you know it, being in class like sitting down was always hard and for long periods of time and standing up and i i got over i adjusted to that but really just yeah. seeing all my teammates succeed and go to the olympic trials and i felt like i was missing out i was being recruited to colleges when i was 13 years old yeah wow. and it just it just it was just like this black cloud over me that i like couldn't get rid of and i didn't know how to forget and it just it just felt like very all consuming yeah how did you were you able to find solace or coping mechanisms while you were in high school or was it kind of something that you had to push under and are now you know dealing with yeah i i gotta say i didn't find a lot of coping mechanisms i think i mean in high school i think dating someone was helpful at the time um mm -hmm. i just felt like just to be like more connected to somebody but i mean that also had its downsides too because then when i wasn't with them i felt i again i just felt very lost um I, I guess it became very focused on school. That's that's one thing that I didn't do a lot when I was when I was a diver is I I didn't focus on school and without it mm -hmm. I just tried to be like the best student I could because I I kind of had nothing else to do. And then the the physical pain went away for a few years. And in college, um, I didn't mind not having diving as much. I felt like I was very. I, at first, I was very comfortable in the theater community, and I and I felt like I was growing and finding myself and my passions. Um, and I wasn't dreaming about diving as much, although it was always like just still in the back of my yeah. mind. Like I could, I could always use it for for, you know, for my acting if I needed to like get sad or whatever. Diving was always there. Um, and then my my senior year of college, I, I had no idea what happened, but like all of a sudden. The, all this pain came back in my back it just really out of nowhere and it never went away and that was that was another huge bummer because i became a student because i was in so much pain and that was like worse than the first time i injured it but there was no there was no like imaging or anything that the doctors could find that would be the cause of that pain so it was it was <laughs> it's still a mystery that's wild and i think I mean, I am no doctor at all, but I find it's interesting with like, at least my experiences with like emotional pain is that a lot of times things come to the surface even decades after like a traumatic event for me because I'm in a place where I can handle it. So I'm curious if that's like a psychosomatic thing where a part of you knew that your body would be able to handle the pain at that point and it came back but again i'm a, i'm a theater major i'm not a doctor please no one take this as an actual <laughs> gospel diagnosis please god don't do that that's i mean that's an actually very interesting thing and like i mean doctors have brought that up with me um even yeah. my like my last acupuncturist was like what stressful things were going through at that time that could have triggered that pain um just obviously getting ready to leave college can be just a very stressful time and I, I try and attribute it to things like that, but I, I really don't, I really don't know. And it is, it's such a, it, it, yeah, it's, it's so weird if it is just like my body just like mentally creating this pain or 
feeling like I could deal with it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's super wild, but I think like the, I think a huge part that was like, uh, like the trauma that was really scarring was just the expectation that I would get better and doing everything I could to get better and like, giving up so much hope and it mm-hmm. never, it never materialized and nothing, nothing ever changed. And that was, and that was really, that was very tough to deal with, um, to keep convincing myself that eventually it would be okay when everyone was saying that it would. And eventually, I, I mean, at one point I just had to stop. I was, even when I moved to LA, I was going to pain management specials all the time. And even doing all that was so overloading. And that was causing me so much more stress and anxiety, just seeing doctors like every other day. I just had to, I just had to chill and like not deal with it. And I honestly think that helped a little bit, just not making that like the forefront of my of my life yeah it's almost like grief well it is grief and mourning in a way and i know um i've heard like from people who have uh like family members who are missing or family members who have like a an ambiguous diagnosis that sometimes it's better to just like physically have the body or physically have like the like time frame of like this is when this is going to happen because it's that in between that is so agonizing for the human psyche to kind of deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, the unknown is just, it's never easy for anyone. And I agree. Like having timelines or deadlines or moments that you can really count on are so important. And when you know that those aren't going to happen or you, you don't know when those might be or whatnot, it's yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just like, it causes, I mean, it, it causes a lot of physical and mental damage. Yeah. You know, and you're right. It is. It is. It is grieving. And I feel like I've I've been grieving this sport or this part of my life for the last decade. And I don't know when it's going to stop. I just I hope that one just goes away. Um, yeah. But like again, I feel like I'm fine. And then I'll dream about it, and then I wake up and I'm like, God damn, <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. Do you want to Do you want to talk about what the dreams are like? Yeah, it's the, you know what the majority of the dreams are me getting back into diving. It's me like seeing my old coat and coming back after years, and I'm like I'm not I've, clearly, of course, I'm not doing as well. But I really am trying to go, and I'm I keep having to I'm doing like once a week classes, and it is. But for some, like the dreams aren't fun. Like I'm hating it because I'm hating how bad I am. I. In the dreams, I know that I've like I've I lost all my time that I could have been, you know, being in the Olympics or nationals or competing in college or whatever. The dream hurts, but then I wake up and then I get sad that, regardless, even though the dream felt bad, I get sad that I'm still not living that dream where I can't go back in the water because I can never go back in a diving board like ever in my life. So yeah. that's I don't know. The dream is like better than reality sometimes, but the dream is also just painful. To- deal with too i'm sorry that sounds excruciating and i just have so much love for you i know like not about like a thing but i have a dream about like a person who is no longer in my life after even after years and it's kind of like that's always excruciating um so i can imagine it being something that is was so closely held as such a significant part of personal identity and life um it's crazy kind of what is in our dreams time and time again um yeah 
Yeah, do you think, do you, would you say you like uncover things from your dreams or it helps you like, reflect on things or like, for instance, of someone being in your life or in your dream and then, you know, waking up, do you, do you like reflect on it or is it just kind of like a bummer that if you woke up? I definitely do. I mean, I had, I had a very weird relationship with my former therapist um, and we, I mean, I stopped therapy and I wasn't talking for a while, but I, I was like, I was blaming myself a lot for what had happened, even though she crossed so many boundaries and double my age. Um, and I was having, you know, recurring dreams of me, like writing to her to say I was sorry. So like a lot of my own self-blame, which then is like, I never gotten I'm sorry from her, which I so much needed. And then I ended up texting yeah. her and being like, you know, you it's not fair to me what you have done um so i feel like and now i actually she's stopping in my dreams as much as i like texted her like a couple months ago and she never responded because i mean i'm reporting her to the board so i guess she legally cannot um but i'm just like you know this isn't fair to me like you you knew i felt you know so connected and so close to you and you really kind of manipulated that and like used that um for your own you know internal emptiness or whatever i'm not going to psychoanalyze her uh, or maybe i will but uh i like i would have <laughs> dreams like where i i like saw the text i was writing to her where i saw the emails like i'm so sorry like i'm sorry and i think that was really like the part of me that still feels like i'm the problem i'm the guilty one i am the issue like a lot of my own self-loathing so i'm curious you know if that's also because like I don't know, like the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, I feel like dreams are where like the conflicts between the two come to play. And like in our rational minds, like we might know, like I might know, like Kimberly, you were 22 seeing a therapist who was almost 50 who like said she loved you and like held you and wiped away your tears and like, you know, all this stuff. Like that's, you know, not kosher. Um, but a part of me is like, no, I'm the bad one because like this is reminiscent of something from my childhood or like whatever, or, like, you know, I'm too much. Um, so I feel like for me, that's why those dreams are happening. And I'm curious, like for you, you know, there is like that unresolved stuff within your own. I mean, I don't want to like project anything onto you, um, but I'm curious, like, you know, if there's any part of you that like is disappointed in your own self or like a party that blames your body for not being, you know, perfect, quote unquote. Um, or, you know, just like that tension, which causes the dreams. I mean, I think you're, I think you're right. Dreams really are a conflict between, so what did you say that you're like, your subconscious conscious, conscious mind? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, I agree. And I, and it, it's funny how like the dreams are kind of more prevalent now than they were maybe like seven years ago. Um, mm -hmm. But I did because I did. I used to really like hate my body for for doing that to me, and I would like I was really upset. I had this back race for a year, and mm -hmm. I kind of just like, used the back race because I it was I like made it my back basically, and I like hated it. I was like, you're the reason that I am like this. Um, yeah. So I kind of like took it out on the brace. And, um, I honestly eventually wanted to burn it, but my mom threw it away before I could burn it after I was done using it. But I really hated that thing uh, just because of what, what it represented. And and now I'm just wondering like why the last couple of years I've been dreaming about this way more than I did say like in college. Like sure the, 
the dreams would be that, but they were much more sporadic. And now it's at least a weekly thing. Um, so I like, I wonder if it's like other things in my life that are making me feel like I'm not, I'm not like being my, the best version of myself. And I, I don't know. I think that's like maybe being like, a, like the diving is becoming like a metaphor for that me, like not being happy with what I'm with my life and my career right now. That's interesting. I was almost going to like hypothesize the opposite. Um, because maybe there's a level, because I know like, um, I mean, you just booked the, um, the uh, uh, Young and the Restless, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you booked that's like a pretty major booking. Like you, you've in the last at least, you know, you and I are not like the closest of friends, but I've, you know, kept up with you. Um, you know, you you booked that, you signed a pretty good representation in LA. And I know I was talking with your roommate, Samantha, who uh, is one of my like former coworkers, so, you know, seeing her a lot. And she said like, you know, you got a really good marketing job. Um, I'm curious if like maybe there's a part of your subconscious that feels safe enough like with the persona you now are creating around that career, you know, your acting and your marketing career that you can deal with the grief of the diving career. That's a, that's a really, you make a really good point. And now I don't know what to think. Um, I will say that the marketing thing, like I did, I got laid off like three weeks ago. Oh, so I've been I'm sorry. kind of... <laughs> <laughs> but it felt but it was very relieving to get laid off because yeah. i did hate that job um and it it caused a lot of i mean it was like an easy job it was very lenient with acting but it, it yeah it made my life dull and then i was to like other unhealthy job things yeah. to kind of cope um which i've been doing for like years i mean like indulging in parties and drugs and stuff like that because i was again like yeah. very bored with my life and career and and that's kind of why I talk about like the the diving dreams being like being a metaphor for how I feel like in person about how I was just like mm-hmm. I was parting and using drugs and when I knew I could be like being more productive there are things I probably could be doing but I felt like so stuck that I resorted to just like bad habits that would excite me um but yeah, I mean, I, but I mean, booking the Young and the Restless was huge, and that did come right after um, I like entered my first like bout of sobriety. So it felt like a big relief, and felt like I was like doing something right. So I will say, then I did feel very secure with you know the future of my career and my life. But um, but we're, I mean, I'm still dealing with this abuse stuff, though. Yeah. Um... I want I want to touch on the substance abuse stuff, but I just have one more question about the dreams. Um, were the dreams more? You know, like, yeah, sorry. Oh no, no, I do. I'm like I'm like I want to touch on this, but I'm like I want to. I just have like one more question because I'm like you know my little therapist's hat is on. Um, I'm like, mm-hmm. were the dreams more prevalent when you were partying, or have the dreams been more prevalent since you were sober, or are they about the same? Right. Gosh, I mean, I think they're I think they're more prevalent when I was when when I was partying a lot. Oh, Being wow. sober, I mean, I still had them, but I I just don't think they were. I was I bet I was experiencing them as much. I'm not entirely sober now, though, so I can't say that they're like more or less at the moment. But yeah, yeah, I mean, 
I want to say that they were they were more prevalent when I was when I was partying and stuff. My, my my dreams were also like a lot more vivid when I was like doing when I was doing a lot of drugs. <laughs> so I think that's I could remember them pretty well. Wow, yeah. Um, I'd love to hear whatever you're like wanting to open up about about you know substance use and partying and you know sobriety and the varying you know ebbs and flows of it. Yeah, it's. So that's been another major thing that, and I, I feel I'm, I am happy with how aware I am and of my abuse in the past and like currently, um, and I'm like very much aware, especially now more than before about like how it's affected me and my like performances and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of, and I mean, a lot of things about it fascinate me because I didn't expect to ever like go down kind of like a path it wasn't really addiction but it was just a lot of abuse Mm -hmm. um and it's just it was it's pretty insane how it can really just slowly snowball and then start to like kind of take over like i yeah the amount that i was doing at the very beginning versus like and then i just didn't even realize how much how many drugs i was doing until i just found myself being like overwhelmingly exhausted and having like crazy withdrawals and I was like, oh, I had no idea I got to this point. Like, I was, I didn't even realize it. It was shocking. And then I felt really guilty and mad at myself for, for letting that happen because I always thought that I was smarter than that and that I could, you know, be doing drugs in moderation. And it was just, it was like this, like, it was something like unveiled for me that I saw that my, that I was like being really um, unhealthy to myself. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, I still am like trying to trying to deal with what being sober is or what I want out of sobriety or like not being sober. Because yeah, I like I think I still haven't found like I saw a conclusion for myself and and how I want to be in my relationship to substance abuse and partying and stuff. Yeah, and that's I mean, it's such a journey. I was i was talking to my friend emma who is the first podcast guest uh, yesterday i mean she's sober from alcohol and um she also has a history of disordered eating and i you know i had a raging eating disorder like almost had to you know go into treatment for it during high school beginning of college and you know i struggle still it's it's a lifelong thing you know and i feel like eating disorders and you know substance addictions are very very closely related um it's a means of coping it's it's funny that you say that too because I, I mean I don't really talk about this thing a lot but so I had a I was pretty like anorexic and bulimic for like a solid six months of my sophomore year of college um and I didn't talk to I didn't tell anybody about it I was like I did I was very deal about it and then people would be like oh you look kind of unhealthy and I was like oh it's just a hormone issue that I'm dealing with mm-hmm. um but with like substance abuse I like I see these crossovers between it and like the parallels are like fascinating i like see exactly the same things about of like being stuck in this rut that i want to get out of but i can't and you know it's bad for you yeah but it just again yeah it's mechanism it just feels it just feels like it's the only thing you you can do yeah it's like it's even though monster. i knew it was like damage yeah. it's like this monster outside of your control and i think something you said about you know knowing you are smarter than this that's something that really resonated with me. I mean, I remember, and I, I mean, a lot of my triggers from my eating disorder came from in my own household. But I remember I was like, I was little and I was you know, putting on my shoes with my mom, like by the front door and 
something on the news about like, you know, maybe Lindsay Lohan or someone's anorexia or bulimia or I came up. My mom was like, you never starve yourself. You never make yourself throw up. You're smart enough, not right. And I was like, yeah. And like in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I like, why would you ever do that? You know, cut to, I was nine when I first made myself throw up. Um, and then, you know, it like really became a daily thing, you know, in high school and then in college, like uh, I didn't eat for 17 days straight my uh, freshman year because I was, yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Um, because I was like, because I'm tall and I'm like naturally like, I wouldn't say I'm big, but like I'm naturally like muscular and like, you know, like I have boobs and especially within acting and theater, it's like, you know, anything about a size four is big. Um, so it's, you know, constant battle against my own natural body. Um, but I, I like, I think there, there becomes such a point of shame. And then also it's such a, like, a, it's one of the few things you can control. And it also is something that takes you outside of your body. You know, I would always have the calculator in my head or like, you know, I'd be walking around like in the gym, like at Northwestern, you know, just walking in circles around the track for 10 hours. Um, you know, listening to podcasts, um, yeah, like it's something that takes you away from whatever like actual pain you have. Yeah, it is such a distraction. It is really, it's crazy how it can really be used as, yeah, it's, I think you'd put it before as like a bandage or, um, just something to like avoid what's really happening in your life. And I, shoot, it Okay, this is I'm gonna make this put parallel too because with because in the sense that I want to be like comfortable with not being entirely sober but doing it in like a moderate way. Yeah, and I'm learning. I'm still trying to discover if that's possible or what that means. Yeah, and then and then with my eating disorder, I like I'm still at the gym like six days a week. Like I, it like it when I don't go for like more than two days, I get really anxious. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is part of me that because of, you know, the disorder before. And again, like, like kind of what you said, like doesn't really go away. Like you're always dealing with it. Yeah. And it's a weird relationship to the gym because I love boxing. I love being muscular and putting on weight before. Like I was just trying to be really skinny, but right. But now I'm just, like trying to like, yeah. put on weight and stuff. And, but it's like, I, there it, there's like a gym obsession and it, especially like in the gay community like ever like get such like you know like insta gays like everyone's on steroids and trying to look like as perfect as possible so there's insane body dysmorphia and i just the pressure to like look a certain way is huge and i and, and like i like i mean i'm really i love doing it i love going to the gym it makes me happy but i also know that some part of it is is unhealthy you know like it still partially stems from when I would, was like anorexic and stuff. Yeah. And I think I find it so, you know, interesting, like you mentioning the gay community, because there's a way like I feel like body positivity is like beginning to, you know, slowly happen for like, you know, cis women, cis straight women in particular, you know, straight passing women. Uh, you know that like on tiktok and stuff i see like a lot of body positive accounts i see a lot of, like mid-sized girls who look like more like a six or an eight which like makes me feel like good and like there's slight like a smidge more representation but i feel like especially for like the gay male community it feels like it's like the early 2000s like it was for women when like you know Lindsay lohan and all like these stars were like you know anorexically skinny i feel like the body standards especially like we're in west hollywood that's like you know the capital of um you know uh yeah. to get essentially for lack of a better term. 100%. <laughs> and it is steroid, like 
central here, which I mean, I've, I've never participated in and I'm not, I'm not like against it at all. Cause I imagine I will be taking steroids when I'm in my thirties. Like I'm not, that's something I like, I want to do later when I'm like not playing high school students. Um, but yeah, but it, but it is like, yeah, the standards are insane. And it's like, you can only go to like XYZ party if you book like this, you know, or like there's group. I mean, it's like the gay community here is like, it's like high school. I, it's, you don't get out of it. Um, at least for the most part, I will say they're like, they're great parts of the gay community and nominal, but a lot of it is like, it's like, oh, you're not hot and fit. Like, we're not going to look at you. We're not going to talk to you. Or like, you know, you don't have 10,000 followers on Instagram. Like, what's the point in being your friend? There's a lot of that feeling in West Hollywood that I like honestly stepped to try to step away from and uh, develop friends who are a little bit more uh, worldly and not as judgmental and stuff. But it is a, it is a, it is a crazy thing. And also a lot of the physical stuff isn't about like necessarily being healthy. It's about getting late. Like you want to look like it's all about getting hot and go to parties and have sex at these parties. Like, I feel like that is a huge part of it. Yeah. And like for validation and interesting kind of how like you're like the three main uh, sources of external validation in your life. This is again, me being armchair psychologist is like, you know, diving, physical acting relatively physical i mean we'd all be lying if we said it was and then you know uh, the gate yeah oh yeah and and the gay community like those are very much based off of how you look and how your physical body performs so true (laughs) clearly have a big relationship with with all of that just that's really me i never really thought about it like that but and make the thread that follows through the whole thing but you're totally you're totally right yes they're also yeah it's interesting. And then with like the drugs thing, I mean, West Hollywood, it just has a lot of drugs. LA has a lot of drugs. And then I think, oh, I can keep up because like they're doing it. And then I try and keep up and I'm like, wait, I think I'm doing way more than what they're And that's why I can't keep up because I'm like overloading myself. Whereas they're probably more balanced about what they're doing. But it just felt like, you know, I had to be at these parties all the time or be out all the time. And just the pressure of it like became like a lifestyle. Why do you think you felt the need to keep up or like the need to do more? You know, what do you think that stemmed from? Yeah, I, I think it, I just, I felt like I didn't want to be forgotten and I wanted to be present in the community and like be like this really fun dude that everybody knew and liked. And I think out of that, out of like wanting the attention and stuff, I just always wanted to keep up and never like, you know, like be let go or yeah, forgotten about. And then, you know, the more you do that, the higher tolerance you have and then you keep doing more and the, the rebounds suck harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's int- I've never, I mean, I think my family has a history of addiction, so I'm kind of, I'm overly cautious about that, but I like feel that from like eating disorder stuff and like how, um, you know, yeah. fucking, yeah, eating 500 calories and you don't realize. Do, do you like, do you still feel a lot of like, pressure with the eating disorders and like just or like still feeling like you have to cope with that or whatever that may be i mean i'm at like my highest weight i've been at in a while um and like i'm taking ozempic i mean i just stopped because i'm like this doesn't make me feel good and all my friends are like kimberly you're back in it i'm like no i'm not like you know the kardashians are doing this and then i'm like i'm fucking stabbing myself and then you know i'm just like this doesn't feel good so i like stopped it like last week um but it's hard because I know, like, you know, my worth as like, an actor, my worth as a woman, even though, like, I think my body was fine. 
you know, if I were a size four instead of a size, you know, six, eight, I'd probably be more successful when push comes to shove, which fucking sucks. And it's hard, you know, when yeah, uh, it's so linked to your own like monetary success. Yeah, it's just not an easy industry to be in <laughs> when it yeah. comes to self-image. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, every like the, it's, everything's everyone's everyone and everything is nicer to you when you look like what they want you to look like. And what the standards are and yeah i mean and then when you're not you're just like ignored or looked over yeah which is yeah i like i yeah i can't imagine especially being a woman i like i that it just sounds so hard <laughs> like i can't even understand yeah it is and i think like i think like like the industry's getting slightly better and also like i think i am fortunate that like you know i don't think by any standard i am like big i think you know by like this like you know little hollywood ingenue standard i am but like i'm healthy um but and i think it's also encouraging me to make more of my own work so that way i have that type of control um rather than i mean i'm just like my body just doesn't it doesn't do skinny my body just can't like even when I was playing lacrosse in high school and, you know, very, very, very the healthiest I've ever been or doing Pilates five days a week, I'm still a medium. It just yeah. is. It's just how like, it you can't have a Yeah. Yeah. The only time I was skinny was before I had my period when I was 11. You know, I, I was reading Jeanette McCurdy, um, uh, like that book she wrote um who's that yeah. nickelodeon star that had a really erratic mom and she is just fascinating because she's you know she's not like made to be skinny but she like prevented puberty for years her and her mom made her prevent puberty for years um by like you know not eating and over exercising and stuff and and god it's dude that was, i just can't imagine how traumatizing that would that would be to be like 18 and you're finally getting your puberty yeah and how damaging it is down the line you know i mean if you want to have biological children or you know even just like things like osteoporosis and bone density and all these things that are very important as women um just how much damn i mean i like i have like horrible like acid reflux and stuff you know i can look like tomatoes because of how you know i fucking treated my esophagus in my body when i was a teenager um and i i think you know i was luckily not someone who ever had to go to inpatient or you know my period never stopped thankfully so you know i was not even on the most extreme end of things um and i still like i'm dealing with the damage at 26 yeah i mean that sticks around and you know i'm i'm kind of worried about that in the same way with drugs i'm like how much damage should i do that's actually long term and how much can like work can my body like recover on its own but say your body's like self-healing in a lot of ways but I, I worry a lot that my like and i just like really pray that my mental health gets back to like the you know the baseline or what it used to be but you know there are things i'm not i there are things i'm not as passionate about anymore mm. that i'm wondering if it's because of drugs and changing my brain chemistry or if it's because i'm growing up and not passionate about those things anymore mm. and you know it, it needs to know that like if it is drug related that i like did that to myself but yeah, that's wild. On and going forward, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's wild to think about. And also just kind of how we, I mean, especially as like cis women and gay men, how much we have to, especially like if you, you what are you, a, a twunk, you said? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Like how, how um, people who are viewed as, you know, attractive or sexual objects, how much we kind of sacrifice maybe our older years to maintain like a, a longer period of youth and desirability. A hundred percent. I weigh about that all the time. I'm always wondering about how like, yeah. And it's, it's, it's I can't like, worry about it now because things are already done. And I know yeah. that if they are, they're already done. And I know I can't like keep thinking about things that I've, that I did to myself, but it, like, it still does stress me out and make me really anxious to think about like where my mental or physical state will be when I'm 60 or 70 or whatever. Yeah. And I'm so wait curious. around until then to see if I, if I'm good. I'm so curious to hear about like, you know, your, your already like conscious decision that you probably will take steroids in your thirties, you know, like where does that stem from? And like, what are the risks? Yeah, interesting question. And I, I yeah, and I, I, I guess I don't even know what all the risks really are. And what I do know, and that's, that's what I'll do more research on before I actually do it. I just know that, like, and again, from what I said, I'm aware that's out of insecurities and I want to look like the, you know, the other guys in West Hollywood, but like I do, I want to be bigger. I want to like match up and just like, just keep being hot to be honest and and you know it's very superficial and vain but i i want to i i still want to like have like hot beauty standards and it's for myself and it's it's really dumb but it's still like if i ever want to like play a superhero like still just feel like that's what you kind of have to do if that's ever gonna happen which you know i'm not gonna wood but that'd be very cool to do um but I mean, who knows? Maybe when I'm, I mean, maybe when I'm like 35, I'll, I'll have a very different opinion on it. But right now I'm pretty, I, I think that I'm probably going to do it. Not a lot. I don't want to be a massive person, but, but I should also do a little more discovery about where that's coming from. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting with the superhero, but I think it's like pretty widely known, like Kamal Nanjiani or whatever, you know, he had to abuse steroids. Um, to get that physique. I remember when that was happening. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's something that's so taboo to talk about, but it's like beauty is currency and the power that you have when you are considered hot and when you are considered beautiful. I mean, it's all from the patriarchy and like different power systems. And when you are the one who's viewed as beautiful, you ultimately don't have the ultimate power. It's the person who is within power and views you as beautiful, views you as fuckable, um, wants something from you. But it's a way to um like climb the ranks unfortunately um especially like when you are not born with other positions of power like familial power or wealth it's unfortunately a tool like many other things are tools and i think it's really taboo to talk about because you know everyone talks about like pretty privilege or beauty privilege which is a hundred percent a thing but it's a it's a double-edged sword i think the positive edge the privilege edge is much bigger than the um, detrimental edge but it still is a it's still a part yeah absolutely there are absolutely two sides to it so it's fully downsized but it does feel like something that I would like have control over and you know and I don't want to run out of 
pretty privileged too fast. And I'm, I'm aware that like I do benefit from it and I want to like keep doing so because it's, I mean, it, yeah, it is, it is helpful in a lot of ways and you don't have the, the connections you want or whatever, like it, it gets you recognized or people are nicer, it's, which is stupid, but you know, I'm, I, I buy into it. Yeah. It was problematic. I mean, I do as well. But... Um, I'm curious, like I'm thinking back on some other threads you were like, we were talking about. Um, I'm like, I want to go back to you talking about after breaking your back, like how you got into a relationship and how that was how you found a lot of meaning. Like, where were you in? First of all, were you out? And second of all, were you in relationships before you broke your back? Or was like that kind of like a first really significant relationship? And how do you think that maybe has affected how you are even interacting with you know, desirability in the gay community now? Mm. Yeah, that relationship was, at the time, it felt really needed. Um, it was my first one because yeah, I was pretty young and I, I found that relationship when I was 16 and you know I won't say like exactly who it was but it was I met him when he was like a counselor at a summer program I did and then it wasn't until like a year later that we kind of started dating and stuff and you know it was I mean he was like super sweet and great in the moment it was awesome and I you know I was with an older guy who was like six years older than me and at the time I was like oh this is really cool and someone like is you know, emo- like emotionally, intellectually smarter than me. Um, and it was someone I could like look up to and had, I felt like had more wisdom and took care of me when my back was like hurting a lot. And he would, it just felt like I had someone to kind of lean on. Um, and nothing about it really felt, felt terribly negative. Um, and t- until retrospect when I was like his age. And then when we started dating, I'm like, oh, I, I couldn't date someone that young. And there's a lot of insecurities on his end that was why he like dated me but he was you know at the time he was kind of what I needed and it felt really great to have someone to be close to on like the weekends and like really you know understanding be happy to happy to like do things and take care of me it, it felt really good um I don't know how it translates really into relationships now because now I have <laughs> now there's a whole other thing which I don't like I don't enjoy having relationships and that's another I'm like gonna go to a therapist with this eventually when I want to start dating someone but I don't enjoy romance anymore or they're like the affection of having a partner I yeah I mean there's certainly things that happen that I think have contributed to that but I have like zero desire to date do you want to talk about the things that contributed to that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, okay, like, no. Gosh, I mean, obviously there's a there's a one. No, I do. I I just like don't even know if this is really what caused it, but I feel like partially. So, you know, freshman year, um, I was at a party and got you know really drunk, and uh, a senior raped me, and it was like one of like the a black and white rape instances where I feel like I've come in contact with a lot of gray areas where I was like you know like like i feel like i've been raped in situations that it's it's technically considered rape but it's not as it's not the same as like this situation was where i like literally knew i wasn't in control of anything and like asked him to stop and he wouldn't stop and i like i physically could not get away um and and the funny thing is like three months after that i asked him to hook up again it was he didn't do we didn't hook up but 
I was like, why did I do that? He'd like, I, I didn't even know. I wasn't, I didn't even think about it for th- after, after he raped me. I didn't think about it for like three months. I just kind of ignored it. And someone was like, that dude raped you. And I was like, no, it's fine, whatever. And I didn't process it. And then the next two years, I like, like I could cry over it so quickly. Um, and I helmet acting a lot. Not to say there was like an upside to it, but that helps in terms of like finding like an emotional trigger. But uh, I don't know. I think it was like somehow within the within the next like eight months after that, I never wanted to have romantic like intimate sex again. Like it just, I, I dated people after that for sure, but I never enjoyed dating anyone really. I like didn't like it. I like lost sexual attraction. That's the thing. I lose sexual attraction to people now when I know them really well, and when there's affection involved or they feel like I feel really close to them. I I have no sexual desired like this sexual intimacy for me is gone um and i don't know if it's a result of him or you know a like <laughs> freshman year boyfriend that broke my heart but yeah it's uh it kind of it took a 180 turn really fast and it's, it's interesting because i still have like rape fantasies which is so weird but um i'm not as triggered by that instance because i mean it's been Oh my god like almost eight years i get now that's like seven years and um if i mean i like i can still like bring it up and i could like you know i still feel it but it's it's not as impactful to me as it used to be first of all i'm so sorry that happened to you um i'm someone who like had whether the gray area you know assaults happen to me and it, you know, it's devastating and also very confusing and a lot of internal, you know, what did I do? What didn't I do? But at the end of the day, it's like, I think it almost always is, even if it's gray or it's black and white, where like the person took something from you and knew what they were doing. Um, I think that's just the, wow, that's just, everything you said is so interesting. And I'm so sorry you had that experience and I'm just not the human psyche, how we both protect ourselves, but also I, Freud called it, and I'm like not the biggest, you know, Freudian, but Freud called it repetition compulsion, like how we get ourselves back into situations that were initially damaging or like triggering as usually really? child stuff, but it also can be other things. We put ourselves back in the situations to kind of hopefully achieve mastery and achieve like a completeness of it. And I'm curious, you know, with your like consensual non-consent fantasies, like if that is like an aspect of it to try to like have, to try to achieve mastery where like you are in control of the you know consensual non-consent that's so interesting Kimberly totally and I've never thought of it like that but absolutely oh my god I'm like that feels so right that I'm trying to like own it by like mm-hmm. indulging in those kind of experiences like I lo- like I still love it when I get like when I'm abused in bed and treated you know like I like being you know uh submissive and whatever like piece of shit quote unquote but yeah like like that is in a way like trying to yeah i guess like really master it you're right that's really that's a really like neat thought yeah it's 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 so it's so interesting i mean at least for me like how humans have a variety of experiences i mean like that's not something I like in terms of like what I enjoy, you know, intimately. That is something that is very far from what I you know, like. But it's 
how we all are the same in terms of trying to master things uh, and like you know the broken parts or like but like the, the injured parts like how it's like I'm going to try to heal this injury thing back in a situation but this time having control over it and making it happen the way I want I wish it could have happened or you know doing something that feels like I am owning this I am solving it I am the powerful one I am the better one like to kind of go back in time and be like you didn't take this from me or you injured me in this way do you feel like there are parts like there are things happening in your life that you feel like you want to like yeah master take oh my god like literally my whole like I am I'm writing a pilot about this uh but I, I again my very weird relationship with my former therapist it was completely mommy issues it was a thousand percent I get into issues with authority figures with guidance figures where I try to make them choose between loving and caring for me and like sticking to the authority you know they have to choose there's something about me that is in direct conflict with whatever the authoritarian you know structure is and that's very much something from my childhood where like i i constantly needed my mom to choose between me or my dad you know my dad who was the authoritarian my dad who was the breadwinner my dad who was you know very powerful and i constantly wanted her to choose protecting me over you know staying in the status quo with him and that really never happened so i you know i can i can name issues with teachers i i mean i my issues with my therapist are like I get like these almost like parent crushes it's very you know, it's it's interesting because it's always people who are a mixture of uh I mean again Freud was right in another way you know people who are a mixture of my mother and my father people who I view have the power that my I view my father as having in my childhood but also the love and the care that I view my mom as having in my childhood so there are like three very specific examples throughout my life of people who are like this um and then it's just interesting because my my former therapist who I was with for three years, um, like within a therapy relationship, I was very transparent about this, you know, cycle. And she even thought it might happen before I, it actually happened. I was like, no, like you're not a teacher. Like this is going to happen to you. And the kind of fucked up part about it is we were talking about it. And I was like, do you actually like love me? Do you actually care for me? Like, do you actually view me as having like similarities to you? Like, will you stay in my life? She's like, yes. Like I will be at your wedding. Like, you know, you pay for the time. You don't pay for the relationship, all these things. But then it was like, it was excruciating for me because I couldn't just go to her house and have dinner or like I would be sobbing and I didn't just call her up or drive over. And it was like, again, the, you know, what's she going to choose? The therapeutic, you know, licensing standards and her income. Yeah. For her and her child or being a mother or being a partner or being, you know, whatever to me. And you know, that's where the breakdown happened. And like the boundaries are so inconsistent. It happened because I was, you know, having a fight with my own mother. Yeah, really. And yeah. And I needed my therapist to validate that my mom was acting a certain way. And she's like, well, I don't like, you know, diagnosing people who aren't my clients. And I'm like, this is the line you draw? Like, you clearly were holding me in your heart. <laughs> yeah. I'm like telling me about your abortion. <laughs> and like, all the things. And like, God. yeah. So that fucked with me so heavy i mean it still has it's been like here so <laughs> um, I, that's completely how i try to achieve mastery over things so the thing my core wound is like very much like these parental issues of you know being chosen being safe being protected and i you know the more i mean my parents and i are in a better place than we ever have been which i'm very grateful for you know as i but that is i completely draw that parallel i'm like this is I get into a pick fights with authority figures hoping they will choose me. That is my number one fucking thing. 
And it's something I have to own and I have to figure out, like, because it can get me into a lot of trouble. No, <laughs> That's amazing that you know this about yourself, though. That is like a true reflection. That is fascinating. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I hate it for you, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it just, it, that's, it's just like, it's so, it's so unique. And so you're so aware, which I think is pretty cool. Thank you. Sometimes it feels like I'm watching a car crash. I know what's going to happen. I'm like, Kimberly, you're going down that same road. <laughs> yeah. I feel like part of me is like, you know, cause well, that's not what we talked about. Like, not like... <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's kind of like we talked about with like, with like other stuff with you with drugs and um eating disorders like you know it's bad and you're going down the same on the same road because <laughs> it's kind of it's what you know and kind of and what you're used to and you're looking for something some sort of guidance or uh or like an escape kind of thing yeah and i think that's kind of when i get hard on myself and i get it's like a very delicate balance and i don't want anyone listening or watching to this especially younger people i mean i don't know what the audience for this is going to be but like please don't put yourself in harmful situations like please be careful and at the same time things are gray and there's this quote i think it's from carl jung or someone it's like the fruit can't fall off the tree until it's ripe it's like sometimes you just gotta safely go down a path that you know is wrong or damaging because it fulfills some like internal need or like you just need you need to act it out um you need you need to get it like for me the person you know i texted who was in my dreams was my old therapist and like i didn't talk to her for a year because i'm like i'm better i'm done with this i'm recording her i'm writing about this you know but then i just like i i need to say you fucked me up and i need to say i was in love with you because that was like the thing we fucking skirted around the entire time was like i'm in love with her and is she in love with me we skirted around that that the entire time and I just needed to get it out and it was you know something I fought against for a while because I was like maybe this will pass but then I'm like well this isn't gonna pass so I gotta let the fruit get ripe and fall from the tree I like that saying that's yeah that's a good thing to to be aware of and live by I like it thanks um yeah I mean I really enjoyed this conversation is there anything else you want to talk about or anything that brings you joy that you want to talk about and or any takeaways well, i mean there's so many gosh so many takeaways um this is a great conversation and things i never ever get to talk about so it's really nice that you're able to sit with me and discuss these things and be there and listen um yeah wow uh man for joy <laughs> i'm still figuring out what i like to do but Watching TV really makes me happy. <laughs> what are you watching that's bringing you joy? Um, you know, it's funny. I never really liked this show, but uh, that's not true. I enjoyed it for what it was, but it's very much a Netflix show. It's Ginny and Georgia. And oh, I love Ginny and Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this second season just, like, talked about, like, really relevant things like depression self-harm like eating disorders i mean it, it they were like in like a mother's responsibility to her daughter it was just it was very relevant and topical and i cried this season the first one i thought was really cheesy and they put it in perspective well <laughs> yeah i love that show that's like so that's my joy it's such a feel-good show for me i'm glad you're finding joy in that 
everyone go watch Ginny and Georgia if you need some catharsis. Um, yeah. Anything else bringing you yes. to us? Anything you're looking forward to in the coming weeks or months or years? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I have an audition right after this, so I'm excited to I'm excited to do that. <laughs> so that would be fun. It's um, I don't even I need to look at what's for again, but it's for a bully role, and I love playing bullies. So <laughs> looking forward to it. Amazing. Well, I would say break a leg, but um, you've broken a lot of things. I hope that's not an insensitive joke. Um, but married. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Well, you. Thank you, Kimberly. This was so great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And everyone, go check out Julian. His socials and all of his fun stuff will be in the show notes. And I can't wait to have you all back for the next episode. <laughs>